0: Let's get it on right now. Hey, boys and girls. Welcome to the best podcast in the history of mankind. It's Monty's Rockcast. And now, here's your host, Monty Colvin.
1: Hey, hey, hey. It's Monty. Welcome to the Rockcast. This is awesome. Thanks for joining me and helping to make this the most popular podcast on the internet. What? No, Well, I think it's the most popular.
0: It's not!
1: No, Well, I mean, I'm assuming it's the most popular uh, based on all the email that I get. And you guys send me some awesome questions. Like this one I got here from James Nelson. He lives in Indiana, and James says, Hey, Monty. How is it going? I
0: think that's a fair question.
1: Well, James, thanks for asking. Uh, You know, I'd like to tell you I was doing great, but the truth is uh, here lately I haven't been sleeping well. It's not what I'd call total insomnia. Uh, I mean, some nights I get uh, four or five hours, and I usually go right to sleep around 10 o'clock. But then about 3 or 3.30 in the middle of the night, I just wake up and I just lay there. And I'll finally just go ahead and get up and I'll go down to the man cave and I'll work on some paintings and a lot of times I answer emails. And so if you ever get one from me and it says 4 a.m., well, that's because I'm up and I can't sleep. But the thing is, I don't always hate being up that early. Ah, really? I mean, I feel like crap most of the day, but uh, it gives me a little me time. And I know what you're doing. A lot of times I'll edit the Rockcast and work on stuff like that. And it also gives me a chance to catch up on some TV watching. And since it's summertime, you got all these reality shows on like uh, Big Brother and America's Got Talent. And the weird thing I've noticed about those kind of shows now is that uh, they're kind of a reflection of our society. I mean, they've all got to be very diverse. You gotta have a certain amount of blacks and Asians and uh, Hispanics and gays and transgenders. And then you just watch them battle it out and, uh, you know, they end up gossiping and uh, basically hating each other. Very entertaining. But the thing I've noticed more than anything on these shows is that everybody cries. And it doesn't matter what it is. If somebody says something that is construed as mean, uh, they just burst out bawling. And everybody is a victim and everybody feels sorry for themselves. So, what else can you do except just burst into tears? Because that is apparently the way you're supposed to handle everything in 2018. <laughs> now, something else that I could do while I'm not sleeping and staying awake all night is watching those softcore porn movies on Showtime. <laughs> Yeah, you know, sometimes I'll be channel surfing and I'll come across something that says, like, uh, naughty spring breakers or something like that. And I remember watching these when I was in my early 20s and I was single and I thought they were awesome. There'd be some hot chicks and some boobies and I'd be all about it. Wonderful stuff! And even if I didn't get Showtime or Cinemax or HBO at that time, uh, I'd sit there and watch it scrambled. Say what? Yeah, remember that back in the early days of cable? You'd get these channels that were scrambled, but you could still tell that it was a skin flick that was playing. But I'd still sit there late at night hoping that just maybe I could catch the glimpse of a nipple or something. This is disturbing. But that was a long time ago, and now, you know, I'll be honest, uh, I get to see real live boobies in person every day. Yeah, you do. And they're really nice ones. They're huge. And so watching a Showtime sex movie doesn't have the same appeal as it did back in the 80s. But I'm sitting there bored at 3 a.m., and I'm like, well, what the hell, I'll watch a little Bikini Babes and Hollywood Milfs. I mean, how bad could it be? Comically bad. Well, let me just say this. Those things have either gotten way worse or I just thought they were great back then because, uh, God, are they awful now. Because after about five minutes, I was so bored that I turned the channel and watched Marie Osmond try to sell me some Weight Watchers.
0: Oh, yeah!
1: Something else I discovered that comes on in the middle of the night are game shows on the Hispanic channels. Now, keep in mind that I don't speak a word of Spanish, so I don't know what they're saying. But where else can you see a clown, a little person, and a hot Latin chick in a bikini driving a forklift? I'm not really sure what the prize is that they were playing for, but to be honest, I don't really care because the whole thing just looked like a huge cluster. I love it!
0: It's crazy!
1: So that was all bad, but not nearly as bad as some of the crap that uh, some of my listeners have been going through. Check this out, you remember a couple of episodes back, I read a top 10 list from a listener named Scott McAleer? I don't know what you mean. Well, as I told you, Scott's a pilot, and him and his son Kyle like to fly around the country and go to concerts and ball games. They even came and saw me one weekend. That's weird. Well, for Kyle's birthday, they flew to Chicago and went to see the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Well, while they are at the game, the Cubs are losing, and so they get the idea, hey, let's put these buckets on our heads and kind of make it kind of a rally cap. Well, while they're sitting there, something out of the scoreboard comes loose, falls down, and hits Kyle right in the head. Ah! Well, the bad news is it cut into Kyle's head, and he needed stitches, and they had to go get it done right in the middle of the game. The good news is, is that because of the bucket, it didn't come down and just kill him. And so thankfully he's going to be okay and the Cubs actually ended up giving him some cool stuff like a jersey and stuff like that. But this story ended up going viral all over the internet and uh, Kyle and his dad ended up on the news and on TV. And the other day, Scott sends me a video of him and Kyle on TV, on the news, and there Scott is wearing a Rockcast t-shirt. Oh boy! How about that? And so what I'm saying is that it all had a happy ending. Uh, Even though Kyle now has a big divot in his dome. How about that? But I'm glad those guys are alright. They're loyal Rockcast listeners and friends of mine. And so I thought, in honor of them, I thought I'd play, what else, a little Buckethead. I'm guessing most of you know who Buckethead is. He's an amazing guitarist, and I actually do have a couple of his albums. Nobody cares. Nada. Nobody cares. All right, I got some more suggestions from you guys for Make Me Choose. And here's one from Jimmy G in Chicago who says, Eddie Murphy or Andrew Dice Clay? Well, I'll have to admit that I've never been a huge fan of either one of them but if you make me choose uh, i'll probably go with eddie murphy i thought some of his stuff on snl was good and i liked a couple of his movies so yeah eddie murphy no jimmy g also had another one it was scorpions or except or rammstein okay i see where you're going with this jimmy g it's a battle of the german bands And this is kind of tough because I like all three. I loved Love Drive by the Scorpions. And I like the old stuff by Accept, Balls to the Wall and all that. But I've even liked some of their newer stuff. But Rammstein probably has the best live show I've ever seen. And their riffs are so killer. So I'm going to say Rammstein. Steve Elliott also had a few make me choose suggestions. The first one is between movies, is it Nacho Libre or Napoleon Dynamite? You know I love Jack Black and I saw Nacho Libre but I don't remember that much about it. It's kind of like that movie where he was a caveman, I think it was called Year One. I saw it, Uh, it seems like it was kind of funny in places but I don't really remember. But I do remember Napoleon Dynamite. I think I've seen it twice and I liked it quite a bit. When I was in high school, I felt really awkward and out of place most of the time, so I could relate. So I'll go with Napoleon Dynamite on that one. I am a complete and utter nerd. Steve also wanted me to pick between James Hetfield and Dave Mustaine. And that one is almost impossible because they're just both such heroes to me. They're both just incredible writers of riffs, and they both influenced me a lot. But God, back in the 80s when Hetfield had the long hair and he'd wear those black sweatbands on his wrist, there was not anybody cooler. And so I'll give the slight edge to Hetfield. But Steve also wanted me to choose between Metallica and Megadeth. And this is actually a little bit easier. Because as much as I love those early Metallica albums, uh, they've kind of just lost me over the last, I don't know, 10 to 20 years. And Megadeth still puts out some pretty cool stuff. So I'm going to go with Megadeth, and one of my favorite songs by them was a song off Endgame called How the Story Ends. I love the chorus on this song and it also has a bad, 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 bad riff. One of my favorites ever. getting back to steve elliott's email uh, he also had a question for me he said do you have any stories about the replacement drummer for alan on the at the end of the day tour i think his name was eric something
0: how shall we answer that question
1: yeah i don't remember if i've ever talked that much about that situation but i guess i could
0: this is a very very big story
1: uh, the deal was is that we had just finished the album at the end of the day and uh, we were going to go on tour with King's X. And I was living in Kansas City at the time and I was getting ready to go down to Houston to start practicing. And about a week before the tour was supposed to start, uh, I got a call and it was from Allen saying that he couldn't do the tour at all. And he basically just said, you know, for personal reasons, I can't go on the road right now and I'm going to have to resign from Galactic Cowboys. And I said, well, I hate to hear that, man, but, uh, you know, I understand. You got to do what you got to do. And we didn't really know what to do at that point, but what we decided to do was just try and find another drummer and do it with a replacement guy. And I flew down to Houston a few days later and we just started auditioning drummers. And it's not easy to replace somebody in Galactic Cowboys because they've not only got to be a good musician and play the stuff, but they've also got to sing. And we found this one guy, I think he was from Austin at the time, and his name was Eric Tatuaka. And we tried him out, and he seemed to pick up everything really fast. And so we said, okay, man, you be back here tomorrow, and you get the gig. And so he came back the next day, and we started practicing the whole set. And a few days later, we were ready to jump on a bus. This is an extremely interesting story. Now, the first gigs we did with him were a little rough, but uh, you know, gradually we got a little tighter. And as the tour went on, we started sounding really good. Eric brought a lot of energy to the band, and uh, honestly, I really liked him. Uh, I thought uh, he was a pretty good guy. In fact, after the tour was over, I said, Hey man, listen, I've got this solo thing I'm going to do. It's called Crunchy. How'd you like to play on the first album? And I gave him a demo of the stuff, and he really liked it. And I thought, well, cool, this is really going to work out. This is where the story gets remarkably bizarre. So I'm back in Kansas City, and I'm working on my crunchy stuff. And I'm also getting ready for my first kid to be born. And I told the guys, hey, we're not going to be able to tour for a couple of months because I got to be here for the birth of Zoe. And as far as I knew, everyone was cool with that. But I keep getting these emails from Eric saying that he wants to tour and wonders when we're going to tour. And I'm like, uh, not for a while, man. Well, then I start getting emails from other people who aren't even in the band. And they're telling me that this guy is now demanding money. And then it turned into, yeah, I think he wants to sue you. And after a while, it was like, "Uh, listen, dude, you're not in the band anyway. Uh, We're just going to let you go and do what you want. And that's the last I heard from him, and uh, I hadn't seen him or talked to him in almost 20 years. And then last November, at the Galactic Cowboy show in Houston, this guy comes walking up to me right before the show and says, "Hey!" And I look at him like, "Uh, do I know you? And uh, he looks at me and says, "Uh, I'm Eric. And I'm like, Eric? No way and i gave the guy a hug and he went his separate way and i guess he stayed for the show but i didn't really talk to him after that but uh you know whatever uh it was good to see him i guess he was a good drummer and a good replacement for alan and so uh you know all my best but that's what the deal was with that so thanks for the question steve the whole story just never made any sense You know, when I started this podcast about 10 years ago, I kind of worried that maybe at some point I would run out of things to talk about, but as it turns out, no. And the reason why is, you guys keep me supplied with plenty of podcast material. You send me questions and comments, and some of you even send me your top 10s. And it's kind of cool because I get to find out what you guys think and then I get to comment on it. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. Skip Strong has sent me his top 10 most underrated drummers. Apparently these are guys that Skip says drove the band, but most people don't know their names. And it starts at number 10 with Nick Menza of Megadeth. Who is that? You know, I met him one time back in the 90s. Uh, He was a nice guy. I just talked to him briefly, but uh, I really hated to hear that he passed away. But that would bring us to number nine, which is Matt Sorum from Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver. Who? Number eight is Brad Wilk from uh, Rage Against the Machine and Audio Slave. Number seven is Jerry Gaskell from King's X. Who is he? And number six is Cozy Powell from ELP White Snake and Black Sabbath. Who is this guy? Yeah, he played with a lot of bands and I actually saw him play with Rainbow back in the 70s. But I'm showing my age, so I will move on quickly to number five, which is Ainsley Dunbar. From White Snake and the Michael Schenker Group. Huh? Number three is Mike Wingren from Disturbed, and you're correct, I did not know his name. I never heard of the bastard before. Number four is Lee Kerslake. Uh, apparently he played on the Blizzard of Oz and Diary from Madman albums. No, it's not ringing a bell. Number two is Vinny Apice when he played with Dio. And at number one, it's Phil Rudd from ACDC. I'll admit I've never heard of the guy. Well, thanks for your top ten, Skip. I appreciate you listening. If I was going to add a couple of names to that list, it would be Alex Rodriguez from a band called Sayosin. He's one of my favorites of all time. He's incredible. And also Alan Doss from Galactic Cowboys. That guy is criminally underrated. But that's my two cents on that. And I will move on to another list sent to me by Chris Stone. And Chris is in a band called Soul Skin. And a few months ago, Chris got a hold of me and asked if I would uh, work on an album cover idea for him. And the first thing I usually do when somebody asks me to do a commission painting for them is I say, well, what do you got in mind? And sometimes it's fairly easy, like, uh, well, I want you to paint my wife or my kids or, you know, my dog or this landscape. But in this case, Chris was like, well, I want this young guy. He's kind of looking up and he's got a noose around his neck. And he's got kind of faded clown makeup on his face. And uh, there's a crown made out of stone that is coming down upon his head. And, oh yeah, one more thing. Can you put him in a circus tent? That's easy! And I said, well, sure, Chris, I can do that. uh, Thinking the whole time, uh, how in the world am I going to pull this off? But I came up with something that Chris liked. And uh, if you want to see that... You can see it on their Soul Skin Artist Playlist on Spotify. And there you can also check out the music of Soul Skin. But right now, we're going to check out Chris's top 10 list, which is the top 10 Monty Colvin paintings. Wow. All right, man. This is cool. I don't think anybody has ever done this. And uh, so let's get it going with number 10, Galactic Cowboys Let It Go album cover. Yeah, there's an interesting story for that cover. Uh, It's actually the back cover that I did the painting for. And the deal was, at the time, it looked like uh, Let It Go was going to be our last album ever. I was living in Kansas City, I was just starting up crunchy, and, uh, you know, it was just time to uh, do something new. But we had one more album to do for Metal Blade, and so we recorded it, and when it came time for the artwork, I got this idea to have a kid on the front cover holding up some balloons. And a friend of mine, who was playing in Crunchy at that point, had a young son, and I said, hey, would he pose for this picture for the cover? And he said, sure, that'd be great. And so I took a bunch of black and white photos of him holding the balloons, and I also did a painting of it. Well, when it came time to pick the actual artwork, uh, Ben liked the photo and I liked the painting. And we ended up going with the photo for the front cover and the painting for the back cover. And I still think the painting is really cool and I could have sold it for quite a bit, but I ended up just giving it to the guy who was in my band whose son posed for the picture. And I thought that was a pretty nice gesture on my part, to be honest, but apparently it wasn't. Because shortly after that, this guy went on the Galactic Cowboy message board and told anybody who would listen that I was just a real jerk. And without ever talking to me face to face about it, he just was claiming that I was screwing him over. And I never did find out totally what his deal was, but uh, as far as I know, he still got the painting. So that's the story with that. You
0: know what that's enough this is depressing
1: but moving on with chris's list of monty colvin paintings number nine is the monty's rock cast skull crush t-shirt he says everyone should own one of these well that is true chris everyone should own one but you better move fast because i'm starting to run out of them you're not selling them you're giving them away right Number 8 on Chris's list is Galactic Cowboy's At the End of the Day album cover. Yeah, I did that painting on a pretty big canvas. I think it was something like 24 by 36 inches. And some people have told me they think it looks like Iron Maiden Somewhere in Time cover. And they kind of wondered if that's where I got the idea, but no. Uh, Back in the 80s, I had done this painting of Times Square. And so I kind of went off that idea. And for the billboards, I used some of my older paintings and I used some of the song titles and uh, stuff like that. And so that's kind of how that came about. But moving on in Chris's list to number seven, it's the uh, album cover for the Overkill is Just Enough 12-string bassist collection. Now, this is probably one that a lot of people haven't seen because it was the cover for a compilation CD of 12-string bass players. And I had a Crunchy song on there, and a lot of other people had songs on there. And uh, the cover was, as I recall, kind of a skull guy with a 12-string. Well, I mean, obviously. Duh! Number six is a painting that I just put up on my website not too long ago. It's the Gas Fist Fireball painting. Yeah, you know, I started doing that painting uh, probably a couple of years ago. When I was working on the album artwork for A Long Way Back to the Moon I did about 15 paintings for it and some of them I didn't finish or wasn't completely happy with them and so I started redoing some of them here recently and that was one that I finally got done a couple of weeks ago and I was just really happy with it and a lot of those are up for sale now on my website but I'll tell you more about that later. Because right now I've got to continue on with Chris's list of my best paintings, which at number five has Beneath a Dimmer Crown by Soulskin. And I already told you about that, so I will move on to number four, which is the Feel the Rage EP cover. And Chris says, Anger depicted perfectly. Yeah! Yeah, the Field of Rage EP, that was one that uh, Brian Slagle wanted us to do when we signed with Metal Blade. And we were like, why do you want us to do an EP, Brian? And he was like, because they're cool. And we were like, oh, okay. And I did the painting of the guy holding up his fist, and I look back on it now, and, uh, you know, it's it's cool. I think I've gotten a lot better since then. But I liked it at the time, and so I sent it to the art department, and when they sent it back, uh, they had cropped it down. And they had cut off the bottom of the painting, and I was just like, how could you do this? I don't like it. And Metal Blade was just kind of like, ah, sorry, Uh, you know, it's too late now. And so I just kind of had to live with it, but uh, we made t-shirts out of it, and uh, you know, it's all good. But that would bring us to number three, which is Skull in Your Face. And that was a painting where I took the Space in Your Face album cover photo and uh, made it where I took the guy's face and put a skull in there. And I actually did three different versions of it. I made three different paintings, and each time it got a little better. And the last one we used for a t-shirt design about a year ago. And I finally put it up for sale a couple of weeks ago, and it sold in about an hour. And so, yeah, people seem to like that one. I am not one of them. Let's see. Number two is the Crunchy Loserville album cover. And that would bring us to number one on Chris Stone's top ten Monty Calvin paintings. The album cover for A Long Way Back to the Moon by Galactic Cowboys. Well, thanks for the top ten list, Chris. Uh, I appreciate it. And if anybody has any questions about my artwork, feel free to drop me a message. I'm not going to do that. Chris also had a couple of suggestions for Make Me Choose. And the first one he wants me to pick between is Galactic Cowboys or Crunchy. Wouldn't you like to hear the answer? Well, obviously both musical entities are near and dear to my heart. Neither one had monumental success, but I'm very proud of both. So how do I pick between two things that have been such a huge part of my life? That is almost impossible to do. Well actually, it's pretty easy. It is? You see, I wrote a lot of the songs for Galactic Cowboys over the years, but I wrote all of the songs for Crunchy. And so I'm going to go with Crunchy. It's got melody. It's got harmony vocals, and it's got slamming guitar. Uh,
0: I find it very crunchy.
1: Chris also wanted me to choose between 8-string bass or 12-string bass. Well, when I first decided to get into multi-string basses, the first one I bought was an old crappy Kramer 8-string. I found it in a pawn shop, and it had this metal neck that uh, went out of tune all the time. But I used it on the Awful Truth album and it just got this monstrous tone. And Doug from King's X saw me playing it and heard it and he's like, well, I'm going to go get me one. Except he goes and gets a really nice one handmade and I was all jealous. Well, then he got a 12 string from Hamer and I was like, well, I got to get me one of those. And so when we got signed to Geffen, I decided to have Hamer custom build me one. And I ended up using it on the first couple of Galactic albums, but I never was really that happy with it. It was kind of heavy and bulky, and I never liked the way it played, and there was just so many freaking strings to change all the time. And so I sold it, but I eventually found this really nice Zon 8-string in a uh, guitar center. And that thing played amazing, and so I've stuck with 8-strings ever since. And at the moment, I've got two, I've got an LTD and a Dean 8-string, and that's what I go with now as far as uh, 8-strings. For me, they're easier to play, and I just get a cleaner tone with the sound that I have. (laughs) All right, Chris Stone had one more make me choose for me, and he wants me to pick between Lindsay in a schoolgirl uniform or Lindsay in a devil bikini. Ooh, hot. Oh, yeah, that's
0: hot. That is hot.
1: Well, it's obvious to me that Chris has been to the Lindsay modeling page on my website where I have posted numerous photos that I have taken myself. And like my paintings or music, uh, it is an art form that I take a lot of pride in and spend a lot of time uh, trying to perfect. And if looking at my wife in sexy outfits for hours and hours on end is what it takes, well, I'm willing to do that because I am dedicated to the art of... uh, uh, amateur photography whatever that means so when i'm asked to pick between Lindsay and a schoolgirl outfit and a red devil bikini well it's something that's going to take a lot of thought and consideration because i gotta tell you uh she looks hot in both of them oh yeah Now, you see, I think most people, especially guys, are gonna look at the red bikini picture and think, more skin for the win. Oh, yeah. And I get that, but for me, I like a little tease factor. And the whole plaid skirt thing just kind of drives me crazy, so I'm gonna go with schoolgirl outfit.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Well, anyway, you let me know what you think. And if you have any questions or comments about my uh, photography, uh, send me a message. I'm not that good at it yet, but uh, God, do I have fun doing it. Yeah, you do. You know, not to change the subject, but uh, I was thinking about something the other day. And it's that social media is such an awesome thing. And it wasn't around when I was younger. I mean, we just had telephones or you had to speak to an actual person. But these days we've got YouTube and Facebook and Twitter. And as long as you're not a conservative or your name isn't Alex Jones, you're free to go on any of those and just completely speak your mind. Really? And I'll watch some of the most vile and disgusting things I've ever seen. But at the same time, I'll read some very thought-provoking questions. And when I see those, I save them for a segment that I like to call... Facebook questions. Isn't the name terrific? Okay, here's one. Uh, Coke, soda, or pop. What do you call it? Well, I was not aware of this until recently, but apparently if you live in the United States, uh, depending on what part of the country you live in, you have different names for the same product. And since I live in the Midwest in Missouri, we call carbonated beverages like Coke, Pepsi, Dr. Pepper, and things like that, soda. I never call it Coke because I never drink Coke because I hate Coke. But I also never call it pop. Because if I'm going to have a soda, I just say, I'm going to go get a Mr. Pib. How the hell does that make any sense? But for the most part, I try not to drink pop soda or anything that has sugar in it. Because I'm a type 2 diabetic. So I'll just have water. So boring. Next question from Facebook is, name one thing your dad taught you. Well, it's kind of hard to narrow it down to one thing because he taught me so many things. And you know, when I think back on my dad and my mom, uh, they were great people, very sweet. And I'm sure the one thing they wanted me to learn from them was how to love God and be a good Christian. Because that was my dad's whole life. He read his Bible every day and we went to church constantly. But he did so many crazy things in the name of religion that by the time I was in my 40s, I was just like, I don't think I can follow this anymore. For example, when I was a kid, we lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and he owned his own business. And one day, he just sold everything, and we moved to Oregon to live in a commune. And if you heard that song I wrote called Oregon, you know that that didn't turn out real well. It was a disaster. Another thing is that he was always living by faith. In other words, uh, you know, if he got sick, he'd say, uh, we're going to pray about it. And I'd say, well, that's fine, but why don't you come up to Kansas City and let a good doctor take a look at you. But unfortunately, he passed away when he was in his 70s, and God, I miss him so much. But I did learn a lot from him, uh, including uh, instead of living by faith, uh, maybe just use some common sense. Yeah, you know what?
0: To hell with you then.
1: Yeah, go to hell. Go to hell. But don't get me wrong. I'm not criticizing my parents for living their lives like they believed. I think everything they did was with a pure, innocent heart, and they showed me a lot of love. And they taught me a lot of things that I don't see parents teaching their kids anymore, like how to be grateful. I'm talking simple things like if somebody gives something to you or does something for you, tell them thank you. Hell no! Some other things my dad taught me were like uh, how to work, how to be punctual, uh, you know, be courteous of others. Don't make them wait.
0: Do you have anything else?
1: Uh, I'm sure there's more, but uh, those are just a few things that my dad taught me. Oh, isn't that great? All right, here's another good one. It's name five bands you turn off when they come on the radio. Uh, Well, the problem is, is that I don't really listen to the radio anymore. The Hellmobile that I drive doesn't even have a radio. And if I'm home, I just listen to what I want. But if I ever was in that situation again, I would say somebody like Credence Clearwater Revival, known as CCR. I don't really like John Fogerty's voice, even though I'm forced to hear, put me in, coach, every time I go to a Royals game. Kill me! I don't think I ever need to hear Bon Jovi again, or U2. Let's see, that's three. Uh, I don't want to hear anything by Aerosmith after 1980. And if I ever hear Shiny Happy People or anything by R.E.M., I will turn it off. And coincidentally, I recently heard from Mr. David Whiteman, the new face of evil. And David said, hey, Monty, I know you don't like R.E.M., but did you know they did a version of Toys in the Attic by Aerosmith? well no david i did not know that but uh i guess we're all gonna have to hear that now aren't we <laughs> Well, that is truly an abomination, and I never want to hear that ever again. But thank you for that suggestion, Mr. David Whiteman. You think it sucks? Is that what you're saying? All right. Earlier in the show, I talked about some of my paintings, and I've got some new ones up on my website, montycolvin.net, and I think a lot of you Galactic Cowboy fans will like them a lot. I've got some cool-looking Gas Fizz paintings, and I'm also doing a series of rock stars. I did a Hendrix and a Gene Simmons and I'm planning on doing a lot more. And before you think I'm just too expensive, uh, check it out because I've actually got things on there for under a hundred bucks. You shouldn't just give it to them. And these are not prints, they're the actual original canvas paintings that I struggled for hours doing. And a few of them have already sold. Uh, Special thanks go out to Brian Shifley and Zach Hooper for supporting my art. And another person that bought a painting is a friend of mine named John Bowden. And John is not only a friend, but he's been a fan of Galactic Cowboys for a long time. And now I'm a fan of his band Halcyon Way. In the past, they've been on tours with bands like Queensryche and Saxon. And now they've got a brand new album out. It's called Bloody But Unbowed. Let's check out a little bit of it right now. I think you Galactic fans are going to like this stuff a lot. It's real heavy, but it's real melodic. The guitar work is excellent, and it's got a lot of harmony vocals. So make sure you check that stuff out. It's Halcyon Way. MASSIVE! I'm going to play you one more song off that album, but that's pretty much going to do it for me for now. If you want to contact me, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of. Just leave me a message on Facebook, or you can also contact me through my website. I'll be back soon with more fun and mayhem, but until then, this has been Monty, saying take care, don't let anyone tell you what to like, unless it's me, and rock on.
0: has been Monty's ride.